Well, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to do something a little bit different for this Moed, for this feast, this Sukkot feast. And um, I'm not really going to do a teaching per se. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story. Because I want to give you a big, big picture. Because I believe this story is part of our story, his story. Thank you so much. And will ultimately lead us into the great collapse and the great reset and the ushering in of Jacob's trouble. But before we get to the end, we've got to start somewhat near the beginning. And I would say a lot of that would go back to the kingdom of Judah's exile to Babylon. And when the Jews were in Babylon for 70 years, the majority of them decided to come back to Jerusalem or to stay in Babylonia. What would you say? To stay. Why? Because they had created and carved out an occult system of commerce and power that had enabled them to master the nations. It was magic. Magi. And would enable them to go into the monarchies and the king's courts of every nation upon the face of the earth. So that would be the beginning of the story. But uh, that would be a long tale to tell from that time all the way to where we are today. So a good place to start would be where I'll begin the story, medieval Europe. So bear with me and let's see how my storytelling techniques are. Once upon a time, <laughs> in a land far, far away, in the heart of medieval Europe, in a time when power and wealth were intertwined with treacherous secrets, people found themselves ensnared in an intricate Babylonian web of intrigue, manipulation, and power based upon the prophecies of Ezekiel chapter 28. Trading and trafficking in the souls of men. These people, they originally were from distant biblical lands of Israel. The children of Judah. And they had been enslaved. They had been trafficked and sold into a nefarious debt system by those who professed to be their benefactors. Those who said they were Jews, but were not. 
It is written in the 28th chapter of the book of Ezekiel in the 16th verse. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as a profane one out of the mountain of Elohim. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And I will cast thee to the earth. And I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled my sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy trafficking. Of thy trafficking. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. And it shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all of them that behold thee. So in my story, it all began with Babylonian moneylenders. A craft that was established in that first 70-year period. A craft that enabled them to infiltrate the magistrates and the king's courts of Babylonia. They got so comfortable and so successful with this occult magic that the majority of them stayed in Babylonia and honed and honed the skill. They were skilled in the art of finance. And they saw an opportunity in lending and trading and trafficking to desperate souls. These unfortunate individuals, often peasants or travelers who had fallen on hard times, would borrow money to survive. They would pledge their very freedom as collateral. As debts piled upon debts, these moneylenders solidified their power. They began to forge connections with the English monarchy, offering loans to kings, offering loans to nobles in exchange for political influence and connection. And as you may be able to see, this is not a fictional story. This is not a fictional story. In this ruthless game of thrones, of which it became known in the medieval world, the synagogue of Satan, wealth and money influences grew, but their enemies also grew. Because it is written in Psalm 22, verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Monarchs, monarchs resentful of their indebtedness and eager to assert their control, 
sought to curtail the influence of these mystery religion financiers. Tensions flared, leading to accusations of usury and manipulation. And the Vatican, ever watchful over its flock, issued papal bulls attempting to regulate the treatment of the Ashkenazi Jews, but the struggle persisted. Now, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 10, it is written, diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them alike, are an abomination unto Yahuwah. So amidst this tumultuous backdrop, a military order emerged. Can anyone tell me what that order was? A military wing of the Vatican, the Jesuit order. Their mission was to safeguard Catholic interests and suppress heresy. And they found themselves embroiled in the power struggle between the monarchs, the Jews, and the Vatican. And when I say the term Jews here, I'm not talking about the royal house of Judah. I'm talking about what Yahushua said, those that say they are Jews and are not. And those of you that have been studying with us for some time understand we are talking about the sons of Japheth, not the sons of Shem. We are talking about Turkic Mongols that are influenced by the mystery religions of Babylonia. So this is not any slight against the house of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Let me be very clear, just as the master was very clear. The Jesuits wielded their influence discreetly, and they orchestrated a political maneuvers in the shadows. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 23, it is written, And in the latter time of their kingdom, where the transgressors have come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also, he shall cause craft, craft to prosper in his hand. You see, this was a craft that was honed in Babylon. And he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Centuries passed, and the dynamics evolved. The debt system transformed into an intricate legal framework. It became known in England as Lex Mercatoria, 
Lex Mercatoria, or the statutory law merchants. Lex Mercatoria, or the statutory law merchants. Today, whenever anybody gets into any kind of brush with the law, what is it usually that will be used against you? What is it? Statutes, depending on the state you're in, revise statutes. That's all your traffic codes. That's all of your, it's a penal system. Where does it come from? The statutory law merchants or Lex Mercatoria. It was invented and perfected in Babylon. It's a debt system made within an intricate legal framework woven into statutes and the fabric of commerce. The plight of the indebted had become a matter of interstate commerce, trading and trafficking in the souls, just as prophesied by Ezekiel in the 28th chapter. Generations endured under the yoke of this system, yearning for deliverance from the financial bonds that enslaved them and the governmental control that stifled their very liberties. But they couldn't break free. They just simply couldn't break free from the clutches of the whore, the financial indebtedness and the beast, the government's control. Yet... There's always within the saints the prophecies of hope, knowing that ultimately our redemption is nigh at hand. Because scripture speaks of a day when the oppressed would rise, when the truth would be sounded so far afield that you wouldn't be able to stifle it, when there would be an age when truth would just burst forth. I believe we are in that age. And I believe the whore and the beast are scrambling desperately to try and keep a lid on the truth. But right now we are at the apex where it is just bubbling out all over the place. It's unstoppable and the people's thirst is unquenchable for the truth. You even see it in the secular communities. When you speak the word, when you speak the sovereign word of Yahuwah, it pierces the flesh and it resonates deep, does it not? Because people don't know what to believe. But when you speak the scripture, it pierces the soul of man. Amen. Bone and marrow and cuts asunder. People will rise. And the chains of commerce will eventually be shattered when souls will be set free from the prison of debt and bondage and the faith of the people will rise. In this history of power, intrigue and redemption, the stage in my little story, in my little tale, is now set for a struggle that has spanned centuries. The legacy of the past with its web of conspiracy, with its web of manipulation, it is now about to be met 
and it's about to be met with a reckoning of those who have been oppressed and they dare to envision a brighter millennial future. Do you envision that? I do. I believe that we will see the millennial future. But amidst the convoluted tapestry of medieval Europe, where the balance of power was a precarious dance between empires, there was another despicably sinister layer that was added to this intricate plot. What they don't teach you in history is that all of the king's lands and all of the future acquisitions of the kings of England, such as the Americas, had been given, listen, because we've been brainwashed. In America, we've been brainwashed big time. So listen, it's going to upset some of you constitutionalists, but the truth is salty. What they don't teach you is that all of the king's lands and future acquisitions, such as the Americas, had been given and pledged by King John to Pope Innocent III and the Holy Roman Church by the Treaty of 1213. After that fact was proven to the founding fathers, King George, King George and representatives from the Vatican decided to use the constitutional draft created by the founding fathers to further their plan to control the colonists. Control attained by bringing the colonists to their knees in debt. Control by bringing the colonists to their knees in debt. Any way you read it, the Constitution was never written with the intent of benefiting the American people. Did you know that 98% of law schools in America and England do not include constitutional law as part of their law curriculum? Are you aware of that? 98%. The reason for this phenomenon is because constitutional law does not apply to or affect the enforcement of statutes. It does not apply and it doesn't affect the enforcement of codes or administrative regulations, which have replaced constitutional law, which have replaced common law, public law and penal law, which have been designed to control you. And now you wonder how you can have a bench trial with no judge, no, I mean, no jury. How that you are guilty until proven innocent. How can this be? Because the Constitution does not apply to statutes, codes, or administrative regulations which have replaced constitutional law, the common law, public law, and penal law. 
So we go back to a gentleman that's very gracious of me to call him such, Mr. Mayor Amschel Bauer, founder of the Rothschild Banking Empire. By this time, owned the king. Mr. Bauer had extended unlimited credit to the king and arranged contracts with him, which permitted the Rothschild tax collectors to represent and collect the king's tax from the king's subjects. I'm talking King George at the time of the founding of these United States. This is the origin of the concept behind the establishment of the IRS. It was Bauer who suggested to King George that he enforce a tax against the colonists in the New World. Since the tax being collected in England was barely enough to pay the interest on the king's loans. Now, when English soldiers refused to fight, Mr. Bauer negotiated a contract with unemployed Russians and Germanic soldiers to fight for King George at a cost of 50 cents a day. Because many of the British soldiers, they had their family over here as the colonialists. They weren't going to come over here and fight their family. So for 50 cents a day, Rothschild hired Russians and Germanics to fight. And then informed King George that he had hired these soldiers in the king's name by a cost of $1 a day. That's a good profit margin. King George utilized these soldiers, dressed them up in English soldier uniforms, and orders his career officers to command them. And when this show of force in the colonies failed, Mr. Bauer suggested that King George finance the colonists in their war efforts against him and bring the colonists to their knees in debt. Sounds familiar, this playbook, does it not? The king succeeded in accomplishing this through his appointed civilian figureheads in charge of his government of France. Mr. Bauer wanted to expand his banking empire into the colonies. And he discovered that the colonists didn't trade in gold or silver, but they used script as the basis of their economy. The script money used was what? Nothing more than negotiable instruments, promissory notes printed by the colonists. And all the colonists agreed that they would consider these notes as lawful currency in these colonies. But Mr. Bauer, he wanted gold or silver, and he induced the king to demand that his tax in the colonies be paid not in script, but in gold and silver. And it was this condition, they don't teach you this, it was this very condition that broke the camel's back and caused the Boston Tea Party. Whoever controls the money controls the country, Rothschild's quoted as saying. And here's the kicker. The United States Constitution was converted into a trust. 
the United States Constitution was converted into a trust. And the legal definition of a trust is a legal obligation with respect to property given by one person, the donor, to another person, the trustee, to the advantage of a beneficiary, the Americans. The property of this trust, and now you wonder why you pay property tax. Well, I, I paid off my mortgage. Well, then why are you still paying tax on something that you own? Because you don't own it. Because it's impossible to own it. Because the property in this trust includes all land, your personal possessions that you believe you own, and your physical body. The donor of the trust is the King of England and the Holy Roman Church. The trustees are all federal and state public officials, which means that they are truly agents of a foreign power, the King and the Vatican. The reason the Constitution was converted into a trust is because as a non-trust business plan, the Constitution completely bound the hands of our government officials. And do you think they were going to put up with that for very long? Didn't take them more than 10 years to figure that out. By their converting the Constitution into a trust, our public officials were then free to make any changes they desired to this government without their constituents' knowledge. Because the rules of a trust are secret. The indenture is secret and no trustee can be compelled to divulge these rules. Trust law was established in England. And the rules can be changed by the trustees without notice to the beneficiaries. And where did these Babylonians get the idea to do all of this? Because you and I are just viewed as cattle, as slaves. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 44. Listen. Both thy bondmen and thy bondmaids, which thou shalt have, shall be of the heathen that are round about you. Of them ye shall buy bondmen and bondmaids. Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy, and of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possession. And ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession." They shall be your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule one over another with rigor. The social security number. In England, the national insurance number. In Canada, what do they call it? The what? The you cannot engage in commerce without it, can you? It is a number that allows you 
to operate in Babylonia's commercial system. Without that number, you cannot be indexed into their commercial system. Wouldn't that make you wonder, as a free people, why you would have to have such a number as that? It's issued by the beastly bureaucracy, served as the identifier of captured souls, captured by the negotiable instrument created by your parents when they placed you into commerce at birth. It's indexed, all of us, much like livestock, into the territorial jurisdiction of a triangle. That's going to freak some of you out. He just did the triangle. Yes, deliberately. Deliberately. It's indexed us into the jurisdiction of the triangle. Why do you think all of these pop stars and movie stars that are enslaved and trafficked in commerce do the all-seeing eye sign with the triangle? Because they are working for the beastly system. It's a triad of power and of control. Triangles have three vertices. Triangles have three vertices. And they are often named with capitals to distinguish them. C, V, W. Each vertex represents a corner or point of the triangle. Vertex C is the city of London with its financial might encompasses just 1.2 square miles. Within this tiny enclave in Vertex C, immense wealth flows like a river. Currency, currency, and the strings of the financial system are pulled. In occult symbolism, the letter C represents the cauldron, the witch's brew, a symbol of transformation of the alchemel, the alchemist or the alchemical process. We were talking about this yesterday. The process of changing metals and the purification of gold and silver. You don't think there's a process of alchemy going on in our phones and all of these devices? You don't think there's, we live in a process of alchemy that goes all the way back to Cain, a metalsmith? Vertex V. The heart of the B system, Vatican City, a mere 44 hectares. 44 hectares, that's it. Where spiritual influence is wielded like a scepter over the souls of those that have been trafficked and traded into the commercial system, prophesied by Ezekiel. Vertic, vertex W, 
the political and legal epicenter, Washington, D.C., covering 10 square miles. These are three territorial jurisdictions. Three Vs, a W is a repetition of the letter V or a doubling of the V, and it's associated with the balance or the union of opposites, Vatican City and Washington, D.C. Vatican City and Washington, D.C. Also, with this union of opposites, you have birthed a democracy. With the transformation of reality and the understanding of dualities, Washington, D.C., is responsible for the transformation of reality, which was a republic, into the union of opposites, a democracy. And a democracy, which is communism or mob rule, is where two wolves and a sheep sit down and vote, what are we having for dinner? It's not mentioned in the Constitution. Yet all you, every time there's election cycle, all you hear, our democracy, our democracy. What, what, what democracy? That's the vortex. That's the vortex of the vertex. And people believe it. Absolutely believe We're going to Ukraine to fight for our democracy. How about we stay here and build the republic? Right? How about we stay here and let my people go? How about that? What a concept. Here, the mechanisms of governance and control were set in motion, ensuring that the unwitting debtors remained within the triangle's grasp. And now you wonder why they flaunt it right on the back of your colonial script, your debt instruments. It's called a Federal Reserve note. That's not money. If it was money, it would be a silver certificate or a gold certificate. But FDR took that away from you in 1933, the very year that the Monopoly Board went into give you notice that you're playing a game of commerce and you're issued with the stupid token, the boot at birth. But there are other tokens to play with. But we want to teach you to play with the boot and to keep hold of the funny money. But the smart people, they say, I'm not playing with the boot. I'm going to turn myself into something else another entity, a transmitting utility to interact with commerce. And I'm going to exchange these useless pieces of paper for hard assets. That's the difference between slaves and free men. Then you'll get out of jail free because you'll realize that all of these statutes, all of these codes, all of these legis are from the statute law merchants. And you'll learn to play the game of commerce and come out of her, my people. That is the millennial technology that Yahweh is revealing to us. Amen. Amen. The deeper they go into debt, 
the freer we will become with this millennial technology to be the king's children on the earth, a royal priesthood, a Melchizedek priesthood. We've got to get out of the triangle's grasp. As the decades passed since the Banking Relief Act and its adoption of the 1917 War Powers Act language, generations since 1933 unknowingly have bore the weight of their birth certificates, of their social security numbers, oblivious, oblivious to the fact that they have become commodities in a vast game of commerce. The triangle's grip has tightened and the plight of the oppressed seems unsurmountable. But there's hope because Isaiah writes in the 42nd chapter in the sixth verse, I, Yahuwah, have called thee in righteousness and I will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light unto the nations. You will be a light unto the nations. In Isaiah, in the 42nd chapter, in the seventh verse, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the debtor's prison. And them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And you go, we don't have debtors' prisons. Well, if you don't actually pay, and you can't pay because there is no money to pay. So how can you be compelled to pay when there is no ability to pay? Think about that. You can be compelled but you can also compel yourself because the truth be known, a debt instrument isn't money. Yet people are sent to prison to discharge the debt. That's debtor's prison, but you have to volunteer for it. Slavery is illegal. But voluntary slavery is not. Sign here. Instead of all of these charges, if you please, are the lesser ones, sign here. You just volunteered for it. 98% of people plead guilty, not guilty, no contendo. It's all the same. Worst thing you can ever do instead of going to trial. But you should never have to go to trial because there is no controversy, right? Why would you need to go before a fact finder if you don't argue the facts? All of this, just so we can come to Revelation 18. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye may not be partakers in her sins. At some point, we will be held accountable for trading and trafficking in that system that you re receive not her plagues. We don't want to be part of the plagues when they come down in an hour in a day, do we? So we have to start to think about how we've structured our lives and how we're raising our families. Edward I of England was deeply entrenched 
with the synagogue of Satan. So much so that he ended up expelling the Jews from England. Why? Because he wanted to take over their trafficking and trading in souls because it was so profitable. So Edward I, seeing an opportunity, he expelled the Jews from England in 1290. He expelled the synagogue of Satan from England in 1290 under his rule. He issued the edict of expulsion, which ordered the expulsion of all Jews from England. But why did he do this? Because the financial debts owed to the moneylenders, they had taken over all aspects of British law. They'd taken over all aspects of British commerce. They had transformed the English gentleman and English peasantry into a slave and villain status as they developed this Babylonian-based mercantile law merchant upon the rabbinic interpretation and commercial implementation that's found in Leviticus 24, verse 44, which I read you. The English were just viewed as heathen and they could be enslaved as our Americas also found out. During the medieval period, the synagogue of Satan in England were often involved in money lending and financial activities. And many of these Babylonian individuals served as money lenders to both individuals and the monarchy, the crown. Edward I, like many other monarchs of the time, borrowed money from these moneylenders to fund his military campaigns and other expenses. And at the end of this teaching, we will tie all of this in with the current monarch of England. And we will realize that this system is an intricate Babylonian system operating by through the three vortexes of the, of the triangle. Washington DC, the city of London, and the Vatican. And that the Jesuit order is the military role. We will discover that the beast is the Vatican. And that the whore that is riding the beast is the synagogue of Satan. And I believe we are going to see within the next few years, the beast devour the whore. There's going to be an epic financial devouring, a collapse of mystery Babylon in an hour. In some parts of scripture, it says a day. Because the beast is going to devour the whore. It's the financial system, which is the whore. But it is the beast, which is the underlying government control that has allowed it to operate all of these years. It's Vatican and it's military arm, the Jesuit control. And that's why you're always seeing it. And the monarchy, they are subservient to it because they are indebted to the whore and controlled by the beast. 
indebted to the whole and controlled by the beast. Washington, D.C., indebted to the whole, controlled by the beast. And this is what we're going to see come about. And this is the struggle that you're seeing in Washington, D.C. currently. Currently. 31 trillion in debt and growing and growing and growing. Keep kicking the can down the road and you'll be able to see why. And you'll be able to see why. Yahusha entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. The synagogue of Satan, the money changers in the temple. Like our currency, Roman currency bore the images of pagan deities and was therefore unacceptable within the sacred precincts of the temple. This necessitated the role of the money changers, illustrating the use of the occult to maximize their influence and control. They deliberately printed or embossed occult images and the names of pagan deities on the Roman coinage so that it would have to be changed through the money changers so that you could perform a holy private transaction. And you wonder why our script is also likewise full of occult pagan imagery. It's deliberate. Money changers derived in the Greek word kolobos, meaning small coin, comes from the word kolobos, meaning small coin, because their role in exchanging foreign currencies for the acceptable small coin or temple coinage. They specialized in currency rather than substance. Substance is where I go up into the mountain and I use my sweat equity to go mine and break rocks and see if I can get a vein of silver. When I find that vein of silver, I bring more sweat equity, more labor to it. And through all of that, I get the substance. It's all energy, labor and substance. Then I come down into the town and I meet you and you have been on the teat of your cow and you have been milking your cow and I am going to give you my substance for your substance. And that is substance for substance. But what happens when I come to you now and I give you a piece of paper that says Federal Reserve note on it and you give me a pint of milk? Is that substance for substance? Did I just steal from you? And in the Republic, that would have been illegal. That would have been illegal. But since 1933, we're going to make you guys a new deal. Give me all your substance. You've got three days to turn in your substance. Give it all. If you don't, 10 years in prison. So you all give your substance, your gold and silver, and in return, we're going to give you 
military script their instruments and we're going to allow you to discharge all of your debts dollar for dollar with military script without fear of prosecution because in the republic you would have gone to prison for fraud and thievery because you try to take somebody's substance with a piece of paper but now we're going to allow you to do that we're going to give you a exemption to do that unlimited exemption oh you can get substance with your unlimited exemption because if we didn't offer you an unlimited exemption then you could hang us for treason because we took your substance and we have to give you something of substance in return otherwise we stole from you did we not american people this is the new deal but you were all asleep because it was a really scary time wasn't it and we rah-rahed everybody up and they're just about to do it again and it's called central bank digital currency that's going to be the new deal and instead of bailouts it's going to be bail-ins whatever you've got in your bank account we're taking it we're taking it it's going to be gone and you're going to get these instead and we'll program them well you it looks like you traveled too far and spent too much on diesel this month so we've programmed your cbd currency that you can't do any more, you can't spend any more on diesel until next month, okay? That is what is about to happen, and it's this system. It's the very system. It's the synagogue of Satan money changes in the temple. Currency, trading and trafficking, the terms buying and selling or trading and trafficking reflect the commercial activity taking place within the temple pilgrims they needed substance they needed what animals for sacrifice and these transactions required currency exchanges kolbon kolbon in the hebrew the hebrew term kolbon appears in historical records and it refers to the small coin or the fee for exchanging money. This coin was used by money changers as compensation for their services. Their role extended far beyond the biblical era. They played pivotal roles in facilitating trade, currency exchange, and financial transactions in ancient marketplaces and along trading and trafficking routes. The concepts of currency exchange, the concepts of lending and financial intermediation have deep historical roots in their temple activities to which Yahushua taught us to overthrow. He taught us to overthrow it. The principles of gaining trust, the principles of gaining security and unlimited accountability were essential so that these money changers continue their trade 
all the way through to our contemporary financial systems. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, serves as a portal, serves as a portal to explore the dynamic world. And it is absolutely a minefield of the money changers and their satanic occult influence on the world and their devastating impact on history. I could never quite understand, and I appreciate it, I really do, but I can never quite understand Americans' love for the English. We were your enemies. What is this American love for the monarchy? I mean, I can't stand the monarchy. That's why I came to America. And Americans are like, oh, I love them. I don't get it. Why? How do you know? But there's this fascination. But you were at war against King George. Because it has become all interwoven into the fabric of your society through these vortexes of the triangle. That people believe that it's all happy and it's all been for your benefit. When in reality, King George was owned by the Vatican and the money changes long before the Americas. Long before the Americas were the monarchs of England indebted and enslaved by the whore. And long before the Americas had they done deals, the monarchy, with the beast, the Vatican system. So you wonder why there's all of this occult architecture and Vatican architecture in Washington, D.C. You wonder why there's all this occult architecture in the Vatican City. And you wonder why there's all this occult architecture and masonry within the city of London. Because they are all but one trading and trafficking empire that was birthed in Babylon. And they didn't go back to Jerusalem. They didn't go back to Jerusalem. Ezra tells you how few went back to Jerusalem. He does the census. Most of them stayed. Because there was more to be made in trading and trafficking in the souls of man than changing coins up on the temple in Jerusalem. All of this goes to Jerusalem. The kings and the monarchs of Jerusalem. Ultimately, the man of sin wants to sit where? On the throne in Jerusalem. All of the monarchs of Europe during the Crusades, what did they want to do? The Knights Templar, what was all that about? Sitting upon the throne of Jerusalem. Do you think King Charles desires to sit upon that throne of Jerusalem? Of course he does. It's in his very lineage. It's the very calling of the British monarchy. And that's ultimately the apex of the story. But we won't get there for a few more days. I should stop because I'll go too deep. And I think I've given you enough of an introductory to this storyline. But this is not a fictional story. And I believe you will see it play out in the markets, 
you will see it play out through the inflation tax and you will see it play out with the repossession of people's houses and property and people going to prison for all of this tax evasion and all of this stuff that is happening over the next couple of years. Because it is a system that is absolutely in a death spiral and people are awakening to it more and more and more. Just recently with the Speaker of the House and all the changes you've seen in government, it's an absolute clown show. It's a mask. It's not real. It's not real. And people are seeing that the veneer is cracked. And once you open up the cracks, you'll start to see this is the true origin of what is going on. But there's another way to live. A way to structure our families, a way to raise up our children, and a way for us to live and go into the millennium where we will literally own all of the technologies because we will not be living in mystery Babylon's system of commerce. We will not be operating in a debt instrument society. It will be substance for sub. You want to build your house? Then you're going to build your house and you'll get people to come and build your house. And then he's going to want something else and he's going to do that. And we are going to be trading substance for substance. That is the millennial technology. That is the way it's supposed to be. Hallelujah. And it's to move into that. I'll finish up with a few thoughts and then we'll, we'll break. Edward I's reign was the reign that saw the development of the statute of action Burnell in 1283, which is considered an early precursor to the statute law merchant. And that is the key to interstate traffic and commerce. If you've ever looked at somebody's um, rap sheet, if they've got a federal charge on them, you'll notice that most of the time, if you read it, it'll be deep buried within there. It'll be interstate commerce. I was talking to um, a gentleman a few weeks ago, and he was explaining that somebody got taken into federal custody. And um, he said, do you know how? And I actually got the answer right. I was quite proud of myself. I said, because it was interstate commerce. He's like, yeah, but how did they get him on interstate commerce? I said, because of the VIN number because the car had a VIN number manufactured and it, it had a VIN number in one state and he was in another state. So therefore they got him on interstate commerce. That's usually the big charge. How do people end up in prison for marijuana charges? Did they damage somebody else because they decided to in, ingest something? Interstate commerce. It's an interstate commerce charge, trading and trafficking. And this is the majority of what the charges are because this was all developed under the statute law merchant, which
which is where all of our statutes come from. But people forget there's three branches of government. And everyone's, oh, the president, the president, but the president, that's just under the executive branch. The real power is legislative, but that's legislative for you and me. If we didn't contract into it, then how are we in it? Through compelled performance and volunteering. Don't volunteer. And then you won't be under the statutory law merchant. It's all compelled performance. And it all goes back to King Edward I. And we're going to unravel it all. And that's how you're going to find how to operate on the monopoly board and be successful in life, no matter what happens, no matter what charges are put on you. You will always be able to set yourself free because he's allowed us to live free. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. There is hope. It's millennial technology. Come to Yahweh's people. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. And we'll catch you live tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Greet one another in the chat. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Subscribe. Give us some thumbs up. And bless one another at Sukkot. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah.